0: It is really good to see you. Welcome, glad you're here. We are on week three of One Minute After You Die. It's been a three-week series, and this is the conclusion. So week one, we we're in the threshold of eternity. Week two, we we're in the topic of eternity apart from God or without God. And today, whew, we turned the corner. We're in an easier topic for me because it's a lot more encouraging. We're in the topic of eternity with God. Now, interestingly enough, even though we turn the corner, even this topic has very interesting reactions from people. A lot of people don't like the idea of even thinking about talking about death, you know. uh, They're the kind of people that uh, never get life insurance, and um, they just, uh, as long as you don't think about it, you're not going to die, right? Well, statistically, no. Um, Anyway... This really happened, I don't have the words precisely, but a believer is talking to a believer and they had this discussion about heaven that went a little like this, so give me a really, really short description of what you think heaven will be, and the person just responded with a, a quick answer, heaven is the place of eternal bliss, but can't we just change the subject, that's so depressing. That's what he said. <laughs> Heaven is the place of eternal bliss. But can we change the subject? That's just so depressing. What's depressing about eternal bliss? You know, and yet I think that there are people that are like that. They don't want to think about later. They don't want to think about facing that reality. They don't want to think about eternity. It's kind of, how do you even think about eternity? It's that scary to them. Even eternal bliss in this huge department of unknown reality, they just like, They see it as a depressing thought as opposed to an encouraging thought. We need to change that. And that's why um, we were going to just, that's the purpose for today, actually, (laughs) to encourage you, encourage me to see it as a good thing. I'm going to start with uh, two fables and then we'll get into reality. Okay, But I'm telling two fables on purpose because even fables have the the way of pointing us into a change of perspective. We're talking about what an odd perspective. How do we change that? And so fable number one. A little boy is really, really sad for his sister because he knows his sister is dying. Well, the little boy heard a conversation and he heard that if he could just get a hold of just a fragment, a tiny, tiny piece from a leaf from the tree of life, and give it to his sister. His sister would be well. Now, this is the fable part. So he makes his way to the gate of heaven, and it's not his time. And he knocks on the gate, knock, knock, knock. And the angel who opens the gate knows that this isn't time for the boy to be here. And so the angel asks a question: "What is it that you want?" He says, "My sister's sick. She's dying. If you can just give me a little piece of a leaf from the tree of life, I just know it's going to make her well." Of course the angel knows all about what's going on and knows a lot that the kid doesn't understand so the angel does something he doesn't expect the angel takes that door that's just open a crack where he can speak through it and says and just backs away and lets it open up and the boy looks through the door and i've seen this precious expression of my grandchildren where it's just like bing the eyes go whoa <gasps> whoa he does that expression he looks to the angel and he says never mind I don't need the fragment. Can we just change it? Can I come in with my sister? (laughs) Right? That's the childlike attitude towards, whoa, being encouraged by a reality changes a perspective. Now, how helpful is that to you? Well, it's fable, so I don't know if it's helpful at all. But what I'd like to do is allow the door that gives you a glimpse into that reality, just open it up a little bit so we get a little bit more of real information from through the lens of revelation that we're going to look into later. Before we do that, fable number two. This you have to use your imagination. Imagine twins, still in the womb, brother and sister. And the sister says to the brother, in the middle of the darkness, brother, I really think there's life after birth. (laughs) And the brother says, where did you get that idea from? I, yes, you're just filling in all kinds of blanks with your own imagination, making up ideas like that. We have a nice, comfortable place here. Can't you just be content? It's warm. <laughs> and we got this cord that provides us everything. You just hang on to the cord. And, and, there's just, and then so the, the sister was kind of discouraged by the brother's re- reaction. And then the sister is just sitting there. She goes, brother, I really think on the outside there's room, we're like so cramped in here, and there's light, he says, what's light, what's room, what are you talking about, I really believe there is, where do you get this from, I don't know, (laughs) she's discouraged, (laughs) brother, I believe there's a mother, (laughs) what's a mother, (laughs) I don't know, but I'm pretty sure there's a mother out there, so so you're kind of following me in this little fable here, and then the, the brother is just like, you, you're just using your own thoughts about what you hope will happen. Brother, did you feel that? Feel what? The squeeze. So we feel that all the time. The squeezings. They're more painful. Yeah, but that's what we've been feeling. I mean, it's just kind of normal. They're more frequent. I think those squeezings are preparing us for the life out there where we're free in the light with Mother, where are you getting this from? All right. After I told this story in the previous service, they said, what's the end of the story? I said, it's just a story. I was <laughs> like, I think if I could make up the end of the story, it'd be like this. She was so excited about going out, she became firstborn. The other one's hanging on to the cord. No, right? By the way, As it relates to this story, there's something to this story that has some merit to it that's beyond just makeup and fable. Um, I'll leave it to you to look up Romans 8 and read the whole chapter. There's actually a description of a comparison between how we came through a delivery process with birth pangs into this world, and we're going to be delivered into another dimension through child pains, birth pangs again. We... How many of you are already experiencing the squeezings? (laughs) It's like, I totally get it. Yeah, I'm experiencing the squeezings, I can't wait. And as you get closer and closer, it's preparing us for what comes later. Now, that's a lot of fun, and those fables are fables. I wanna shift a little bit, because um, if that doesn't change your perspective, that's okay, that would be expected. In 1991, very early, in 91, We moved here on January 2nd, 1991, many years ago, um, and accepted the call to be a pastor of this church. And within a couple of months, three months, um, my mother passed away. I knew it was coming. She had been battling cancer for a long time. It was tough to make a move and a transition during the middle of all of this. But it was finally time. My mom was so ready. I mean, It didn't come fast enough for her. It was a lot of hard Times. So even previous to moving here, I was trying to prepare my heart for understanding where my mom was going. This is the first death of somebody really close to me that took place. And uh, so I wanted to know more about heaven. And as I began to research heaven, it's funny, until you have a reason to research it, I mean, I'd grown up in the church. I've read the Bible. It's like all these little allusions and uh, teachings about heaven throughout Scripture just kind of go over your head and right by because you're you're not relating to it. You know, you, you just kind of read for where you're at right now, and they just you just miss this and miss this. So I picked up some books and I started looking, and man, the more I studied, the more I was encouraged. It's like, oh my, there's so much more here than I ever thought or even imagined. And I grew up in church, and people, uh, I preach sermons, but there's so sketch in the way I filtered it and understood them to be that I wasn't encouraged until I began to really dig in. For those of you who want to dig in because you're right there and you want to know more, yes, you can read through the Bible, but I had great help when I went through here. If you're ready to write this down, if you're into books, um, I had great help by a fellow by the name of William Hendrickson. Uh, I really enjoyed all the commentaries that he wrote on the Bible, but he wrote one called The Bible on the Hereafter. The Bible on the Hereafter. Uh, it's out of print, but you can still get it. Uh, really cheap. Uh, if you go Amazon. Uh, the Bible on Life on the Hereafter, something like that. William Hendrickson. The next one, later on, this is long after my uh, mom passed away, was a book that came out by Randy Alcorn, who also was a favorite author of mine, who wrote a lot of novels about eternity. And then he decided to write a textbook, and the book is simply called Heaven. I couldn't I couldn't believe after reading what I read before and all this stuff, is like, whoa, Randy Alcorn, you have really stretched my imagination and really filled in some blanks and encouraged me. I didn't agree with everything he wrote, but it was really, really encouraging. So if that's for you, that's for you. Now, um, we're going to go out of just uh, fable, and we're going to go into the lens of revelation. In session one, I spent some time talking about why the lens of res- revelation is a very good source to see things you can't see. Just like scientists look through lenses to see things they can't see, revelation is powerful. The Old Testament has statement after statement after statement of prophecy that by the way came true with incredible detail, not all prophecies have finished yet, but the ones that had finished, there is undeniable evidence that these revelations were correct in that the entire Old Testament is provably written before the translation into Greek and it was translated into Greek 250 B.C. So you know it's written beforehand And now you have these fulfillments of prophecy in Jesus' life, and in that time frame, they're so detailed. It's like, whoa, only God can put this kind of thing together. Then Jesus arrives on the scene, and he tells us that he's from the heaven where God dwells. He's come to this world, and he's come to show us a way back to be with God our Father in heaven. And so he predicts his own death, his own crucifixion, which... You can't make somebody kill you the way they did, and uh, predicts his resurrection, and then the whole movement explodes into uh, explosive movement right after that. So I believe this revelation has merit because the guy who conquered death tells us some stuff that this is what I believe. Now, we're going to begin with just some quick statements that are encouraging, then jump into some FAQs, frequently asked questions. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So even with these books, I mean, my mind is blown. It's like, oh, I had no idea. It so said that, 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 that. Whoa, this is amazing. That's nothing compared to the reality of what's coming. It's so beyond our imagination. It's like, whoa, let me in. I want that now. And that's what we're looking forward to. Jesus said in John chapter 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. By the way, that's an audacious claim there. If I said, trust in God, now trust in me. It's like, crucify me. (laughs) If you don't believe it. That's pretty audacious. There is more than enough room in my father's home If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Some people have make a big deal about Jesus was a carpenter, and he's a divine carpenter. He's been there 2,000 years, so man, this home must be something. (laughs) That's not how I read it. I read it like he's going to prepare a place, he's opening the door, he's making it possible for us, and he did it immediately the next day when he was crucified. And when he rose from the dead, he prepared a place and made a way for us to come home to the Father. that's the saving work that he was going to prepare a place for. There may be something to, there's more to the preparation, but then he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In earlier chapters of the same work, the Gospel of John, John writes that Jesus claimed to be the doorway. He, He claimed to be the door, the gate, the one through whom we have access to this realm that... We wouldn't otherwise have access. In John 16, 28, we read, yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Pretty clear. In Revelation 21, verse 4, we read, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. Yes, <laughs> Yes, finally. You know, a lot of times, we believers, we try to make everything look rosy and good, like, you know what, God has a plan, God has a purpose, this is a, it's going to be good, look for something good, it's like, you know what, we can weep like Jesus weeps when things go wrong, we can look at this place and go, you know what, this is not heaven yet, and it really isn't, we're looking forward to when there's no death, no weeping, no tears, he's going to clean it up, it's going to be good, right now, it's dark, we feel the squeezings, All right, frequently asked questions. Now, I've been in ministry 36 years. Where did I get these questions? I just get them asked a lot. And they started coming a lot when I was in youth ministry. So most of these, I've only picked three. I don't have a lot of time, were from students. The first frequently asked question, will we recognize each other when we get there? Will we recognize each other? And the answer is yes. Let me show you just one of many places right now. 1 Corinthians 13, we read this, verse 12. Now we see things imperfectly, as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely. And then watch this description. It's a relational description. Just as God now knows me completely, By the way, did you know God knows you completely right now? He knows your name. He knows you. He loves you. Just as he knows you and loves you and has done something to save you, we will know and love in heaven. That's what it says. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So if you want to fill in the bullet there, we will recognize and know one another and love and be loved. This is an incredible community that we're going to be a part of. In Luke chapter 16, verse 9, is the punchline to a parable that Jesus tells. Jesus tells a really odd parable in the negative. He talks about a, a shrewd manager who's kind of crafty, dishonest, really, and he's being fired and as he's being fired, he thinks, oh man, I have a limited amount of time here, so I'm still managing this guy's money. I'm going to use this money to make sure I have a life after I'm fired. And so he uses the money to make friends, and reduces debts, and he's done all this. And this is Jesus' punchline to the very strange teaching. He says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they... These friends, will welcome you to an eternal home. So yes, we'll know each other. And in fact, your celebration of getting there is even grander if you make the most of your life right now with your resources to help them get there. They're going, it's you. It's you. You help me this way. Welcome. Yes, we recognize each other. This concept is brought home even more clearly in many of Paul's statements. First, let's fill in the blank. The people we brought to Jesus will welcome us. If you introduce anybody to Jesus, man, they are so excited to tell you, I would not be here except if it was for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown? He's talking about being rewarded in heaven. What will be our proud reward and crown? As we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns, it's you. That's our proud reward and crown. Yes, you are our pride and joy. So yeah, we will recognize each other. Here's another frequently asked question. It's B on your outline. I need to say it with a little snide way that it's always brought to me. What will we do? And it's it's the implication is forever. I can't do anything forever. It's so boring. <laughs> what will we do there forever? In fact, I hope it's not, but every time I read Revelation, all they're doing is singing. And worshiping, its just like the world's longest worship service. And right now, it's like, this one's already too long. (laughs) It's like, that's kind of the impression of that frequently asked question. Well, to fill in the bullets, there's going to be new heavens and a new earth. Let's start there. Because we often think in terms of, and the young people did too when I was serving the students, they often think it would just kind of... Bodiless spirits floating in the clouds, playing harps. It's like, I don't even like harp, right? I mean, that's just the, we got these visual images of this awful existence. And no, there's new heavens and new earth. Second Peter 3.13, this is one of many places to talk about this. Peter wrote, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. But don't be confused by like heavens in the plural, Sometimes people think of different heavens. Um, the Jewish mindset was like this Heavens is up. The closest up is the atmospheric heavens, which includes sky and clouds and where the birds fly okay, that's the heavens above, but the heaven beyond that is celestial heaven where the sun, moon, and stars are in space, that's celestial heavens, and God's abode is beyond that in the third heaven, beyond that. That's the way they talked in terms of the heavens. That's why when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, could get that wrong, I didn't have it here, Um, he talks about being caught up in the third heaven. In a vision, he was caught up to the location of God's abode and talks about that there. But that's what he's talking about when he's talking about being caught up in the third heaven, heaven itself. All right. So if there is going to be new heavens and a new earth, we get to experience this new heavens and new earth and perfect bodies. It's like new bodies. We read this in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-four. Yeah. And if you're feeling the squeezings, you're excited right now. But if you're not, oh well. All right, First Corinthians 15:54. Then we are dying. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. So the young people used to ask me, "So, boring?" No, it's not boring. What are you What are you into now? And some kid would say, "I'm. I, I eat, drink." Sleep, live, basketball. That's what I'm into. I said, can you dunk? Not yet. I said, I can't wait to get to heaven either because I can't duck. But in heaven, I'm going to rub it up and down the court, do 360, and slam that ball down there. I have a perfect body. And I'm going to be able to do the stuff I love to do and do it a way I never could do it before. In fact, I'm going to surf. I'm going to surf the perfect wave. Now, you need to understand, I surfed once in my life. It was horrible. I almost died. My cousin, who was nearly a professional, we're a freshman year in college, he says, Let's go surfing. I went to college at Westmont, uh, shores of Santa Barbara there. And it was a perfect storm. And he took me to it. He said, You'll love it. I almost died. I couldn't even get out past the waves. I only went surfing once once. I will try it again in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth when I'm coordinated. And can pull this thing off successfully. And if it doesn't, it won't hurt and I won't cry. Amen. (laughs) What will we do there? Man, there's no limit to what we can do there. This is Eden restored. This is relationships without sin. This is happiness just bubbles over. This is assignments given to us by God, and we have different assignments depending on how things went here. That's just touching the surface. Here's another question. Can I be sure I'm going there? Can I be sure I'm going there? a lot of people run into now, they want to convince me, there's no way you can be sure of that. There's no way. I said, "Mm, I'm sure. You can't know you're sure. Well, I can't get into the detail of it, but I will with you. John says in chapter 5, 24, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Heaven is life, life eternal. And you can begin that now. And John describes it. Later on in a letter of John, 1 John 5.13, he writes, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And he's not just talking about in your head. This is a Hebrew way of knowing where it's experientially. You've you've tasted it. You know it experientially as well as you've received it and you understand it. So let me just get at this a little bit. Uh, Paul talks about when you receive the Spirit, you are receiving a deposit which guarantees what is to come. So we're going to get into a little bit of that as we describe being sure. So how we're going to get into that is... Point number two. We need to make heaven your home now. Now, don't get me wrong here. Don't go out and kill yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Making heaven our home now is bringing heaven's experience into your living experience right now. That's what we're talking about. And to do that, I want to take six minutes of your time to watch a Bible Project video. It's a lot of information fast, but it's a great way to get a hold of a lot of information fast about heaven and earth.
1: So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's
2: space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains, but my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we
1: do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us.
2: So these are two very different types of spaces.
1: Yes, they're, they're different in their nature. But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact
2: space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die. But this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that.
1: Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again.
2: So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping.
1: Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on.
2: But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from Him.
1: Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction.
2: So you've said that these spaces can overlap though. So explain how that works.
1: Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh,
2: overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other
1: So God's space is full of his presence, and goodness, and justice, and beauty, but human space is full of sin, and injustice, and the ugliness that results.
2: So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different, and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this?
1: Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin, when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence.
2: Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting.
1: Right, so we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap.
2: What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins.
1: He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven.
2: But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and... They kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth.
1: But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
2: So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice.
1: Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create A clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus's sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth.
2: And this is all really great but it leaves one big question in my mind which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus?
1: Yeah so a few times in the New Testament we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die. But that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation, and God's space and human space completely overlap once again.
0: Pretty good stuff. One thing they didn't get into, and that's because of the nature of trying to be short, is it didn't talk about how there's multiple temples. There's an Old Testament temple. They did get into that. Jesus as the temple, they did get into that. What they didn't get into that is now because of what Jesus did, there's a fulfillment that he gives to us. I must do this so that you can receive the Spirit. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so earlier I talked about how because of what Jesus did, taking our sins and absorbing it and taking it away, taking that punishment for us, he conquers sin and He conquers death and He allows us to be filled with His Spirit so that we can bring His life, His kingdom into other people's experiences. So we are the temple of the Spirit together collectively and our bodies are temples of the Spirit individually if you've merged your life with Jesus's life. Very, very powerful What that means is I can experience a taste of heaven that guarantees for me this thing that I've experienced is more than conceptual. It has changed me. It has transformed me. There's pieces of me that I could never pull off before with love and joy. And I was so constricted in my former life, I was in bondage, and now I'm set free by a power that's bigger than mine, and all of that by the power of the Spirit. We read in Philippians chapter three, this is Paul's words. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. Here's the danger. The longer we live here and think, think about our life as if this world and this existence, the way we live right now, is home the more we hang on to that cord and we don't want to go anywhere. In fact, we define our lives by the darkness we're in and we define our lives by the self-centered world we've created where everything is about me, me, me and Jesus says, I have come to set you free from that. You need to think about eternity. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Begin to live this eternal kind of life. You're in a whole different dimension where heaven and earth merge in you. And this is amazing. It's not just trying to get to heaven. It's experiencing heaven getting into us. And while we're in that merged space, we know what we're going to experience ultimately in a forever sense, in a grander way, what we're beginning to already experience now. Heaven, living with God forever, we can begin to enjoy that today. So... Whatever you think about eternity makes a difference on how you live today. That's what this whole series has been about. We're going to finish with a prayer. Oh, I skipped a section. Let's put that on the screen. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. That's our home. That's our citizenship. We're just pilgrims here. We're passing through. Just like Abraham was asked to leave his home and become a pilgrim. Pass through until he arrived at Promised Land. We're pilgrims, but we have a home and it's our permanent home and we can begin to experience it in a very powerful way right now. In a way that's different than Abraham could. It's more experiential. Here's how I'd like to finish. Bring you before God in a prayer. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, You became an open doorway to heaven for me. Thank you for preparing a place in heaven for me. I come to you as my open doorway to receive more of your blessings from your kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please restore me and renew me in your spirit today. Amen. I very specifically wrote this so that you could pray this prayer if you're a believer and have been for years. Restore me, renew me. I want more of your kingdom through the heaven's doorway. I want to experience you more. I also wrote it in such a way that if you have never walked through that threshold, never said yes to Jesus, this prayer could be that prayer for you. Lord Jesus, I want heaven through you. I want to walk through you. I want to experience you in this way. Let's stand together wherever you're at. Apply your faith and pray it if you're ready. Let's pray it together. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord Jesus, you became an open doorway to heaven for me. Thank you for preparing a place in heaven for me. I come to you as my open doorway to receive more of your blessings from your kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please restore me and renew me in your spirit today. Amen. Amen. Amen? All right. We have a prayer team to the right of the stage. If you're burdened by something, lift that burden. Let them to carry that weight for you and kind of pray for you. That would be a great thing. We start a next, our next series, brand new series next week. It's called FOR, as in F-O-R. The world often thinks of the church as against. And we are for this community. We are for people. We are for some amazing things. We start a new series next week. I hope you'll come. God bless.